This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. It's another big week of football, both at home and abroad, and the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio is ready to take you through it. Hello, everyone. James Scott and Adam here with you on a Tuesday evening as we get ready for a fairly hectic 48 hours ahead as we also celebrate what was a pretty successful weekend locally with the Raw winning on the road for the first time this season and the return of the NPL and FQPL competitions after a slightly delayed start to the season. Scott, how are you? I'm good. A very successful and busy weekend, James. It was a great weekend. Great to have everything back. It is. Adam, uh, plenty of highlights this weekend. Have you got anything that stood out in particular? Uh, look, I'm just uh, glad to stop harping on the fact that the Raw um, were, win- were winless on the road. They've finally uh, got their road wins, so that's good. But MPL's back as well. Yes, that's it. So the uh, weekends are nice and full for the three of us now. NPL, FQPL and all sorts. Um, you are listening to the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Uh, any comments, questions, segment ideas, discussion points, we will happily take them as long as they're good. Uh, Facebook, The Raw Review. Twitter, at BNE Football. And Instagram, Brisbane Football Review as well. That is our new social media platform. And uh, we promise never to use hashtag influencer in our lives. Says you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not really one for hashtags. Anyway, um, yes. And uh, if you are listening to us on Clutch Radio, and you're possibly tuning in uh, for the first time, you can check out our back catalogue of podcasts on Wooshka, A League Live, Spotify, TuneIn, and several other good podcast platforms. One show you might want to check out is uh, the return of NPL Sunday, which featured a uh, well-researched, very eloquent special guest, Scott, and I think that was why it was uh, such a highly rated show. Really? When did, when was that? I must have missed that. How drunk were you on Sunday night? Did we have a fourth person on the show, did we? I don't remember that at all. <laughs> there, was some, there was some loiterer on the, uh, on the Skype call. Hey, you... We had a couple of very special guests, and James. <laughs> yes, we did actually. Uh, I did actually join Scott and Adam for uh, the recap of the return of local football, and we will quickly touch on that later on but if you want a full recap of all of the games check out that on our podcast feed we are going to start with the Raw's 4-1 win in Perth and before we go to the two of you let's hear from the manager Warren Moon it's our first away win of the season so first and foremost we're, we're pleased with that and uh but I thought the way the match went and how we set up today was uh I guess clever um and uh you know, it, it worked for us, I think, as the game went on, we got stronger and uh, I think all well deserved win in the end. And to see Juan get a brace, how good was that? Yeah, look, pleased for Juan, pleased for him to, to score some goals. Uh, you know, we still, you know, uh, my opinion on Juan hasn't changed whether he scored or he didn't. He's working hard for the team. He's still got a little bit of a way to go physically, um, but putting his hand up for the team and, and, and performing, um, pleased for him. Jez Lofthouse got some minutes, uh, won a penalty. Um, do you see him more as an impact player coming off the bench rather than sort of a starting player, unlike uh, the likes of Zabala and uh, Henry Hall, who you seem to trust as a starter? Look, I think at this level, you need to trust players both with and without the ball. And, you know, we, it's the same with Joey Champness last season. You know, we had to trust him without the ball. We knew what his qualities were with the ball, and it's the same with Jez. 
You know, Jez is wonderful with the ball. Um, he needs work without the ball. You know, he, he hasn't got much in that department at the moment at this level where, um, you, you know, he's got a great understanding of what we're asking of him. But what I would say is he's been injured. He's had COVID. He's been out for a while. So uh, his fitness is improving. We wanted to bring him tonight. We wanted to use him when we've had the chance. But um, but he's got a bit to learn as well defensively. And I think once he does that, we'll, we'll start to see more and more of him. That was Warren Moon after the match. It was a 4-1 win. I was about to say 4-0 because, I'll be honest, I nearly missed Daniel Steins' 92nd-minute goal. My attention may have been slightly uh, split at that point with the Raw well on their way to three points and Arsenal getting uh, kicked off the pitch by Aston Villa, thankfully unsuccessfully. But, uh, yeah, the pressure of waiting for that first road win, Adam, it is finally off and... uh, LeRoy actually managed to claim another scalp uh, this season with Richard Garcia, the second coach, to be dismissed after playing the Brisbane Roar. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know if that's a, a glowing endorsement for the Roar, that that's now two coaches that have been sacked after after the um, after they've been beaten. So, But look, overall, um, look, I think it was, it was a good performance by the Roar. Uh, they, they, they obviously sort of were fairly mindful that, you know, their results on the road have not been great. And it's one of those games where things finally sort of went their way. And when you take your chances and they go in, um, it always helps. And But also as well, I think Perth were as well. They they looked very underdone. Um, you can probably make all, all the analysis you like on that. Um, and like, so ultimately, it's probably cost Richard Garcia his job. I think I think the, the it's almost like the, the season from hell for them is finally finally caught up with them and unfortunately Richard Garcia was the um, sacrificial lamb yeah on that um, on that it is hard uh, it's not that hard to feel sorry for Richard Garcia he was in an unenviable position with Perth having to now catch up all of the missed games be on the road for months at a time It, it, it was starting from behind several eight balls not just one and overall Scott like I know Perth you know, their struggles were quite well documented as well. But for the Raw, it has to be said, they went out and took care of business for the first time, away from home, that is. And that's got to count for something, surely. Yeah, for 90 minutes, it was the most complete performance of the season for the Brisbane Raw, wasn't it? They were in control for the majority of this game. Yes, Perth weren't at their best, and obviously they've had their own issues, and they've just changed coach. But for Brisbane's perspective, I thought it was their best performance, obviously certainly their best away from home and something that they can really build upon. The only thing you can really look at and say, I just wish they kept the clean sheet. The la- the go- to give up the goal in stoppage time would be so frustrating. I mean, the, the the rest of the performance was so good. It's just the one little thing. But across the board, James, that was by far and away the best performance of the Raw. And we'll get into some of the individuals in a moment. Some great confidence-boosting moments for a couple of players in that game as well. Certainly. But, yeah, looking at the Raw, they only had 47% of possession. But it really felt like a game where once they sort of settled into their playing style there really was only going to be one outcome uh, from that game as well and for me it was really encouraging to see that maybe they are starting to finally work out their identity away from home the home form hasn't really been uh, a big issue Scott yeah you mentioned the possession possession is pointless if you don't do anything with it we're talking to a coach in the NPL at the weekend, and he was about to reference the Manchester City Crystal Palace example, yeah, where City had 80 or 85 percent of possession or whatever, and they drew nil all. You got to do something with it. So yes, Perth might have had more of the ball. What did they actually do with it? I can't recall too many chances they actually created of any real significance, other than they scored late. But 
most of the most of the position they had was completely meaningless, and the Raw controlled the game the way they wanted to control it. They they weren't really in any danger at all. And that and that was the point I was trying to get to was that yeah, there's a clip that's been making the rounds of the Raw. Uh, I think I can't remember which goal it was, but just stringing the passes together. Um, second goal. The second goal. There we go. Stringing the passes together, and you know when they did have the ball, they actually you know, had a clear sense of direction and knew what to do with it. And again, like, you can try and couch it and say, oh, Perth weren't that great, but 4-1 is still 4-1. And that, for me, Adam, is basically where the analysis of this game starts and ends. Absolutely, and that, that's, what, that's what it comes down to, is that at the end of the day, Raw, you know, controlled by, and yeah, look, 47, 47% of possession, but they, they use the ball a lot better. You know, it seemed to be a lot less, you know, Seating around, you know, sort of meaning, meaningless passes at the back. It seemed, it seemed that there was a little bit more direction in in their play. And um, yeah, look, at the end of the day, it, it, it was one of those games where, and I know Warren Moon referenced it, that there's probably other games they've played on the road where they have sort of, you know, been in the game but didn't come away with a result. This is where, you know, this is where sort of everything seemed to go right. Everything sort of didn't go to plan for, for Perth. Like I said, four one. That's a um, that's a fairly substantial you know victory. It is, and we'll go now on to the individual players. Scott Juan Lascano has the light bulb gone off. Two goals in this game. It looks like it's starting to all uh, click for the Argentine striker. Yeah, look, you can say they were they were simple finishes, but he had to be there. The fir- the cross in for the first goal was absolutely sublime, wasn't it? That was a great ball in from JJ to pick him out, and a really good header. And I think that's the sort of goal when you score that as a striker, it would give you great confidence that that you're on the end of a really good move and you get and get the goal. The second one, the movement leading up to the goal was better than the actual finish. Like I know the the last ball was deflected through to him, but the move the the creativity and the movement and the passing and everything for that goal was absolutely sublime. So from Lascano's perspective, yes, they might have been simple-ish finishes, but that's what he's there to do, James. He's there to put the ball in the net. And yes, you would like him to contribute in the other aspects of the game as well. But if he just if he just scores a goal a game, that's what he's there to do. He's there to put the ball in the back of the net. And that the confidence he will take from that is not to be undersold. And also, you've got to remember, a month ago, he was being substituted after about half an hour against the same opposition. So to bounce back, as he has since then, really contribute and actually score two goals in this game, I think you can really take some confidence from that. Well, he can take confidence from that, and so can the rest of the team, that he is building to something. And over the second half of the season, we might start to finally see the best of him. And on that... I, I, honestly, yeah. I, I really don't... Uh, I really don't mind seeing Juan Lascano tap in from two yards. That's open net. You know, that's that's his job. He had to be there. So the fact that you know, basically that that twenty five pass play, if the if the last play is the fact is that you know your your number nine is at the far post tapping in, that that that's a that's a victory for everyone. So yeah, like I said, I like we I don't we don't pay well it's not so we but they don't pay Juan Lascano for the style of goal. In the end, they pay him to score goals, and that was a perfect example of it. You know that. Yeah, basically, he was there, and you know, so many times you see it not just to, just to the raw, but the A League in general, where you see those balls where there's no player coming in at the back post to you know that would, would normally be a simple tap. And so, the fact that he was there and had the awareness to do that, more power to him, and it's good to see him actually start scoring some goals. 
And that's now, uh, thanks to Scott for uh, sending this through, three goals in three games since he got substituted early against Perth. And for me as well, I, I know I keep referencing uh, Moon's days at Lions, but you go back and watch some of the goals that um, some of his other strikers like Marek Madley scored, it wasn't necessarily about you know dribbling past four or five defenders and then shooting uh, from 25 yards out. It was being in the right position to get on the end and finish a move. And expanding it out... You look at some of the other strikers as well. Like, like I'm, I'm fairly certain, you know, Dennis Bergkamp, Michael Owen, you look at some of those strikers, they've scored their fair share of tap-ins as well just by being in the right position. And that's one of those things that, to me, is a universal football thing uh, when it comes to being a good striker. It's not always about scoring, uh, you know, the worldly sort of goal. It's about being in the right position to just get the job done. And as you pointed out, Adam... It's, it's not about style points. This isn't, you know, Olympics uh, gymnastics or diving or whatever you want to call it. It's literally just about getting the goals on the board. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I so said, for me, for me, Alan Shearer is the one that comes to mind as far as a, a, you know, a classic striker who, you know, it, it would you he was capable of obviously of scoring some you know some cracking goals, but a lot of his bread and butter was you know being there in six yard box and tapping it home. That's that's the job of number nine. It's so I know it's something that is rare for the raw. Like of like I said, especially it harks the days of a best Barisha and you know to uh, Jamie McLaren, but we haven't seen that for a while. Um, having a true number nine, I really think that you know the last few games, I think we're starting to see why. Juan Lascano was signed. If that's what he provides for the rest of the season, even if it's one every two games, then it will be a success. Actually, just you mentioned Barisha. I the first thing that popped into my head with Barisha uh, scoring was that um, game against Sydney where he uh, tried to fight Pascal Boscart. What was his goal in that game? He was there inside the six yard box to just nod the ball in from close range. Yeah, and look, if he wasn't out of form at that point, but it's just the imagination, James. But when strikers are a little bit out of form, or not out of form but in terms of not finding the net. Often when that drought breaks, it's not a 30-yard bomb that or strike that um, breaks the drought. It's often a scrappy little finish, isn't it? So from that, from that point of view, that's what you kind of expect. But you mentioned Madley earlier. The finishes from Lascano at the weekend, they've, you could almost envision, looking back on that Warren Moon Lions side, you could envision those chances being presented to Marek Madley in the exact same way. So... I think we're starting to see that that might be the style of striker that Juan Lascano is going to be, and we saw just how effective that was at the MPL level. And the final point I will make on Lascano is that that was my just main thought on him uh, in the first half of the season as well. It wasn't necessarily that he wasn't making the runs. It's that either he was making the runs where to a different spot to where his teammate was expecting him to be, or he was making his run to the right spot and his teammate was playing the ball somewhere else. Now it seems like they've sort of got a little bit of that cohesion up, and look, I'm not I'm not going to go and say he should be in contention for the Johnny Warren Medal or anything like that this season, but it's nice to see him build on what uh, was admittedly a really rough start to the season, and provide that nice solid outlet. And you know, I'm sure it's not going to be all sunshine and roses from here on out. There will be games where he struggles. But that's where you've got the likes of Luka Vanovic, um, even Cyrus Demi, who scored on the weekend for the NPL side. Those sorts of players might have to come in uh, and others and possibly contribute in different ways. Because, like again, going back last year, that was probably the big uh, thing that was the raw need is goals from different uh, areas. Now, rest of the team as well, I actually thought uh, 
pretty impressive at the back as well, conceding to Daniel Steins from what was probably the best goal of the game. Not much you can say about that. And um, I did not realise Mitch Oxborough got a red card, Scott. He did get a red card, and it was a pretty shocking challenge, actually, to be all in all truth. So it was certainly richly deserved in that final minute. It was completely irrelevant. and I think it was literally the last kick of the game. Uh, and, and it was on a player. If it was the first... If, if it was the first kick of the game, we would have got the same reaction from the referee. It was I, I actually, pretty blatant, and it's hard to argue it. So I actually think that, that that's endemic of what the situation is at Perth at the moment. It was um, even Richard Garcia said that he didn't. Well, he didn't actually see it. Um, it just lacked common sense. I think that's frustration. That's that's you know, it, it was a challenge of you know things have just gone completely haywire behind the scenes and that that sort of you know that was almost for me for me you know a window of what sort of the chaos that's going on at Perth at the moment um is that the pressure's right on they and he just snapped I think um I don't think there was I don't think Mitch Oxborough is a you know a callous person I think it was just just a matter of frustration um on that so so yeah it's um I think it just shows you know the sort of the level of trouble that there is in the camp at the moment it is and but Keeping this focused on the Raw, it was a good win. It's something to build on ahead of what is going to be a uh, busy week with two games in four days, I think. And uh, we'll do the uh, th- A2 ones in a second, Scott. So, before we go, can we just talk about the defence quickly? Because I thought defensively, the, defensively also the Raw were really, really good. When they Tom Alder back in the back line, they look so much better with him there alongside Scott Neville and Kai Truman. But defensively, they scrapped really, really well, cutting out a lot of opportunities, some really good last-ditch blocks including Jack Hingott off the line. I think that was from... Was that from Steins as well, from memory? Or was I think that from so, the young yeah. kid? It was from one of the young guys coming off the bench, if I remember correctly. So defensively, they scrapped really, really hard. And that's why I said earlier, it's almost disappointing they didn't keep the clean sheet because they actually deserved one for the way they defended over the course of 90 minutes, James. So it was genuinely a really good all-round performance. I know we focused for 10 minutes on the attack, but defensively, they were also really good. It certainly was. Adam? I was just going to say that, look, I guess in a way, that defence laid the platform, plain and simple, that, you know, without without um, having that solid platform, and I think Tom Aldridge, as we know, I think he just, he is just a rock at the back. I think he just adds so much more to that defence, you know, you know, just, just his, you know, just, you know, obviously he's directing, being the captain, um, he allows Scott Neville and Kai Truen to be a lot more freer um, as far as what they need to do with their responsibilities, um, yeah, I just think it just makes a, a hell of a difference. And uh, look, the Raw's form, you know, has been very, very good since um, since uh, Tom Aldred returned. Well, I will say, uh, without giving anything away, Tom Aldred w- was one of my uh, players to receive three, two, one votes. But it's not my week to divulge the full three, two, ones. It's Adams. It is, and uh, my my three, two, ones are three points. One Lascano, two goals, be- best game he's had since he arrived. Uh, two points, Jay O'Shea. I think, yeah, again, he is just just he he's just the, the playmaker general at the moment, and uh, the Raw's uh, performances are for the better. And one point, Rema Akbari. Um, I thought he was also very very strong. I think um, he he seems to have his tail up ever since he um, was uh, given the call up to Afghanistan. He seems to be playing with a lot more confidence, and it's showing. But you're right. Um, it's one of those games where there's probably a number of other players that probably also deserve points. It was a good position to be in on Saturday night, trying to narrow it down rather than stretch it out. All right. Now, um, we got, uh, we'll got. we go quickly into news and NPL discussions before we get on to our double preview segments. Adam, a piece of news from Gold Coast United that uh, you saw just before we started recording? 
Yeah, um, this has come through on the social medias um, from, from Gold Coast United um, about the passing of Declan Bingham, who was a former player of the club. His father, Troy, was the CEO of the club. Um, was of, of the club, you know, in the early stages when Gold Coast United you know, came back, he part, uh, Declan passed away in a tragic accident over in the United States. So, um, ne- never good to hear. And um, as always, in the uh, local football community, we pass our condolences uh, to the Bingham family on their loss. Certainly. Um, yeah, now we'll move on to quickly touching on uh, standout stories from the weekend now that we've had a few days to consider it. Scott, uh, what was your standout story from the NPL weekend? It remains exactly the same as we were talking about on the Sunday show, James. It's it's Lions. I mean, yes, Gold Coast Knights were absolutely superb, but I don't think anyone expected Lions to capitulate the way they did. We've, we're used to Lions being a really rock-solid defensive side who's scored plenty of goals, but defensively is where they've really cut their cloth, particularly under Warren Moon, and Darren Sides continued that on. They've made changes to that defence, as, as we know, but... I don't think any of us really saw that coming, did we? I mean, I think we all picked them to be, if not first at the end of the regular season, in the top two. So, And they still may very well end up in that discussion, no doubt about that. But I think it was shocking to see to see the way that capitulated in the second half, wasn't it? Yes, Gold Coast were good, but I don't think anyone saw that coming. Adam? Yeah, I tend to agree. I can't really look away from that, other than perhaps, you know, in the same caption, uh, the champions were beaten... Uh, so, so were the Premiers. And uh, the potential power, we haven't seen too much out of that yet. But, uh, yeah, uh, a big win for Sunshine Coast Wanderers at Ballinger Park. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the, the, the champions fall, so, and so are the Premiers. So we may, we may be in for a very, very interesting season ahead, especially if those, if those two powerhouses, um, if there's a lot more trouble than what there really is. It is only one round. These things can reverse themselves very quickly. But, um, yeah, it's... It's uh, It makes for a very, very interesting week one sort of wrap-up. It certainly does, and you can catch that full uh, week one wrap-up on uh, the our podcast feed with the return of NPL Sunday featuring Scott and Adam uh, every week. Well, every week that there's NPL anyway. And, um, yeah, we'll go through all the news and whatnot there. My big takeaway from the weekend, I actually have two. Conversely, Gold Coast Knights may, uh, putting out a statement win and secondly, I am quite proud of myself for only one slip-up on the call of Redlands Rochdale um, with the new home of the Queensland competitions being FQTV. Meanwhile, Clutch is the home of NPL TV, uh, home of every other NPL competition in the state, in the country. So there we go. Um, yeah, uh, NPL Central on Twitter has uh, just posted up some rumours about the possible conditions for the National Second Division, or NSL as I call it for short, National Second League, as I am just quickly bringing that one... Um, just by the way, what do you mean NSL? There is actually a Northside Soccer League apparently here in Brisbane, James, so NSL might be trademarked, so they might need a new name. Oh, what a shame. I'm going to keep running with it as a joke anyway. I'm not sure if I'm even the first one. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure if I'm going to be the uh, first one to... Uh, make that joke but it certainly yeah certainly is one that will uh, stick for a little while I'm sure so some of the things that were talk- the two things that actually stood out for me from the NPL Central uh, rumour report suggestion on Twitter was basically 
No uh, promotion relegation to NPL or A-League for the first two seasons. A-League will expand through best-performing uh, national second division teams. Competition to start in 2023, and teams must meet off-field requirements like having 5,000 seats at their ground. So, plenty to dissect from that. Adam, what leapt out at you? The last point actually leapt out at me. That, um, you know, I don't know too many MPL clubs, especially outside of Melbourne, that would that would have a facility that would have 5,000 um, seats. There's no, there's no one in Queensland, I would say, that would have would actually have that um, at least, at least benchmarked as far as look, you may get five thousand people in on a massive occasion like a grand final or something like that. But you know, that, that that's I think they need to be careful that the, the national second division don't um, put too many criterias that you know will then make it make it basically which will eliminate you know pretty much you know the majority of the clubs that are going to be participating. That you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if that context is that that five thousand seats seat uh, capacity would be for the A-League or whether it's for the National Second Division. I have to have to see more about the context of that comment, but certainly they're just, I just think they've got to be careful not to, um, I guess, overprice themselves and overstretch themselves. You know, at the end of the day, if the National Second Second Division, especially in the infancy, is having a thousand people there, is that, is that really a bad thing? Uh, just on that as well, Adam, I've just done a bit more digging into the uh actual source from the NPL Central thing, the person who was uh, credited with it, um, saying uh, it will be called B-League, uh, if not Championship. Uh, A-League will have more than 12 teams. Uh, former NSL teams like Sydney Olympic, South Melbourne, Melbourne Knights, Sydney United and Marconi Stallions have priority, which to me is a massive red flag, if true, because I can understand wanting to bring in the history, but... This ties in with the minimum of 5,000-seat stadium on offer. That basically means it's going to be NPL uh, New South Wales and Victoria, isn't it? And that's going to basically have a lot of the same criticisms that the A-League has had of being too heavily centred around those two states. If half to three-quarters of the teams are going to be there, I don't know if any Queensland clubs would technically be able to meet that uh, admittance criteria. It sounds like the joke you made earlier about NSL actually is true based on that because the only clubs who could meet that criteria would be the ones who have the old facilities from the old NSL days. Your Sydney United, your Sydney Olympics, your South Melbourne, Melbourne Knights, Brisbane Strikers. It is that's, If that's what it's going to be, that is literally the old NSL in a nutshell, isn't it, basically? So it's almost, I think it's almost I, a Trojan horse. I think they've got to be careful with how they do it. I've, I've always said this, it shouldn't be... If they want to actually make this thing properly and legitimate, like a lot of people say they do, just do it on sporting merit. I get the fact if you get to the A-League level, you need a certain level of facility. That's that's fine. That happens all over the world. You've seen small teams in Spain, for example, who've had to who have to upgrade their facilities or even move move grounds if they don't have a certain level of capacity and facility. That that makes sense. But for the second division, James. I don't see why this is absolutely necessary to have 5,000-seat stadiums. But for me, the biggest takeaway is I understand there's no promotion straight away into the A-League. We all knew that was going to be the case, that there was going to be a slow build. Why is there no relegation? Why can't teams who who don't get in automatically, who want to build up to it and start to just gradually get there and might start over a two, three-year span, be good enough to get there, why can't they earn their way in? We're seen here in Queensland, for an example, when the NPL started... 
teams like Lions FC, Peninsula Power, they were not involved, James. But once and they built up to that level in the Brisbane Premier League. Once they got into the system, they've raised the bar for everybody. So why can't teams do that? Why can't you build from an NPL if if you're good enough, get promoted into this second division? It doesn't make oh, the whole thing just needs. I think they need to really look at that because there's a couple of real fundamental flaws there. Yeah, and that's got. And that's going to be what I think will turn a lot of the sceptics off, where you might have the fans of those clubs happily jumping on board saying we're back on the national stage, but say hypothetically, like Brisbane City, let's just pick out a name there. They get admitted uh, ahead of other bidding clubs like uh, Brisbane Strikers, maybe like Gold Coast or something. Do you really think anyone who was more in favour of seeing one of those bids like Strikers get in... Are they going to suddenly switch around and go, oh, well, we'll just uh, start supporting that striker, uh, that Brisbane City bid? And that's been my main issue with it all all along as well. And, like, yeah, 5,000 to me just seems way too high, especially looking at not just the declining attendance in A-League matches this season, but, like, you even talk about uh, some of the issues that AFL and NRL, uh, even cricket have been having with their attendances uh, for their matches so far in the last few months where I don't blame people for still being a little bit iffy about uh, being able to go out. But also as well, you're talking about decline in A-League as well. If we can start seeing benchmarks for um, for the National Second Division or the MPL, um, like so, and we, we were tipped off by um, a certain person within it within sort of the, uh, the MPL up here who, who said that, you know, that the, the attendances... Uh, for for match days for the MPL here in Queensland are declining because of the of the advent of streaming every single game and and whatnot. So, and I'd imagine that you know the the national second division that will be as well that you know I don't know who will be the broadcast partner or or whatever. But you'd imagine that every single game will be will be broadcast will be broadcast on by live stream or you know or whatever. I, I can't see being on. You know, terrestrial te- television, not not in the early days anyway. So, a- again, so if people aren't showing up to their local leagues where it's a lot more tribal, what's to say that you know the te- the attendances are going to be any better, um, in in sort of in comparison to what the A League A League is at the moment, which which is suffering apparently from you know a lack of attendances. So, it's just um, I, I like I said, I want to support it, and you know I, I'm. Obviously, a big, big advocate of the uh, of the national second division, but again, you've got to do it right. And it just to me is that, that the most troubling thing was the word of those those legacy clubs getting quote priority. That that really really worries me because at the end of the day, what they're saying is that you know a club like Lions, for example, who you know yes, while they are sort of a, a legacy club, is the fact that they they participated in you know the original you know, NSL back in 1977. Um, that does that mean that, that they don't get they don't get say they're not going to get priority even though they've probably got the best facilities potentially in in Queensland. Yeah, and what we're going to bring back some of the failed clubs in the NSL like your Carltons and all the rest of it who were who were successful for a small period of time but ultimately failed. What is that? What, what, I just this whole prioritising clubs from the NSL era. I just think that needs to be completely ripped out and ripped out and just moved on. If everything if, else, based is on, on sporting merit, who are the teams that are? The best in, around the country, you're in the second division. Look, for and me, then it's up to you to find out a solution about about your stadium and all the rest of it. If you want to go 
further than that. You know what? You know what I would say in terms of ranking history as a uh, judgment criteria. If everything else is coming up pretty much even, if it's you know, uh, stadium finances, you, you know, kit design or whatever, if everything else is has the clubs coming out on pretty much the same level, then maybe go for history. If it's got to be like the fifth, sixth, or seventh tiebreaker, fine. But if you're going to be giving, uh, if you're going to be artificially inflating the uh, credentials of clubs based on history, then it's going to wind up going the same direction as the NSL. Let's bring back Parramatta Power, who don't exist anymore. I will, I will say this: is that you know, look, look talk about one, let's say, say for example, like the one of those legacy clubs, say South Melbourne, for example. If they tick all the right boxes, that you know, the business case is sound, they can support themselves, they've got a ground, um, they've got the support. You know what? If they, if they tick all of those boxes, then I'm more than happy to see them in the A League. But we know they want to be in the A League. But just but to say, for them to be given admittance because of you know of being oh, a legacy club because oh they're the Oceania team of the century and all the other accolades they've had oh the Ange Postecoglou used to coach there that, that, that to me that's rubbish but if they if they actually tick all the boxes and say you know what they have the most sound choice of all the clubs in the NPL clubs in Australia then you know what I'm more than happy to welcome with open arms into the league but if, it, if it's the case of oh that they have a divine right to be there that, that, that's garbage that's just going to stick the whole thing as far as I'm concerned Thank you, Alvaro Recoba, with the divine right. You beat me to it. Yeah. Uh, we could keep going on on this for a while. I will just leave the final thought as spread it out. That is the, that is the one thing that football has uh, had uh, as far back as I can remember is that it was a properly national competition. The A-League has been that. Admittedly, it's a little bit too heavily focused on New South Wales and Victoria, but you've always had teams that are competitive outside of the two uh, major states. Now, speaking of uh, divine rights and World Cup qualifiers, the Socceroos are back in action this weekend as we prepare for another international break. And, uh, well, there's quite a bit on the line this uh, over the next seven or so days, isn't there, Scott? Australia basically needs to win their two games at home to Japan and away to Saudi Arabia, and they should book an automatic spot in Qatar in November. How hard can it be? Yes, speaking of things that are New South Wales and Victorian-centric, let's move on to the national team. I think you're, you're right. These two games are the two biggest games that Australia have played in the, on the men's side have played in about in four or five years. It's it's a big ask. Look, I mean, to see, yes, if they win both games, they will qualify. They almost certainly will. But to say we can win both of these games is very, very difficult. I mean, if, if we had our full strength, we might talk about who's not there in a minute. To, to say beat Japan at home and Saudi Arabia away is a big ask. These were, these are two of the top three games in terms of the most difficult of the entire World Cup cycle for the Socceroos, and they come right at the end. The other one would be Japan away. So this would be two of the top three difficult games, and you've got them right at the end when you need maximum points. This is a very, very difficult task, but it's also going to be a, a great thing to watch because if they can actually do this, it will probably equal 2005 in terms of the... Oh, not, it'll get clo- the closest we've had since 2005 in terms of that that great euphoric moment of qualifying for a World Cup, James, where it, it, is it likely, is it not likely we finally get over the line sort of thing? This would be the most... It's, they're the two biggest games we've had in a long time, there's no doubt about that, and I'm in, in, excited for them, but I'm not confident if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I'm not confident they're going to get over the line, but I'm hopeful. 
Oh, look, you specified saying this was the biggest uh, men's game that Australian football has had in quite a while. I think it is the biggest game. With you know, the Matildas have had their share of big games over the last. Well, they've had big World Cup quarterfinals and things as well. Don't forget, and Olympic semi-finals and stuff. So yeah, but some big games. Th- this is trying to get into the world's biggest sporting event. Like all all else aside, this is why it is far more important than anything else. And yeah, for me. I honestly think they're a pretty good chance of beating Japan at home. It is all going to come down to uh, how they perform in Saudi Arabia because, as we have said many a times, uh, I don't think Saudi Arabia are going to want to do Australia any favours. But you think back to when the qualifying draw came out and we saw the fixture list, I think the three of us were all in agreement saying that they really need to make sure that they've taken care of business as best as possible heading into these games because it is going to be an absolute mess Try if they need all six points, Adam. It is. Um, it, it, like I said, it's it's a case of. Um, I look at it as as what was Socceroos, what they got to lose. Yeah, you know, the worst thing that could happen is two losses and they go to playoff. But for them, like I said, it's got to be one step after the other. I, I think, I think they need, they, do, they can't even worry about Saudi Arabia on the horizon. It all comes down to Thursday night. Um, yeah, at at a core stadium in Sydney, beat Japan and then the options open up. Because if they don't beat Japan, then it doesn't matter. They they may as well they may as well start looking at at UAE or whoever's going to finish third in the other group because that's where they're going to be headed. It's this is this is must win. This is must win on the scale of 2005. So it's 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 a, it's a big game and also as well, the Socceroos haven't got a great record against Japan. They have haven't, we haven't beaten. Uh, Japan since uh, 2009 on on home soil. So um, to to think that you know, like the, Japan will be missing a few key players as well, but the Socceroos are also missing players. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how this all sort of plays out. But um, look, I'm I'm hopeful that you now they can do the job, and that then opens up you know the possibility of going to Jeddah, you know, next week and potentially you know wrapping up a spot automatically to go to Qatar. But I think it, it all comes down to Thursday night, and then let's see what happens after that. Yeah, forgive me for going into the uh, big book of sporting cliches, but you really just have to take care of uh, things one game at a time because if they wind up uh, losing to Japan, or uh, if they lose to Japan, then it's all over. Like they will have to go through the playoffs, and that's why you really hope that there will be, you know, a 70,000 strong crowd at a core stadium there to actually create some sort of home field advantage. Conversely, you, you mentioned it there as well, Adam. Um, yeah, it, while we may say this isn't the uh, same Socceroos squad um, of the past, this also isn't the same Japanese squad. They have definitely not been uh, as all-conquering and dangerous as we might have expected them in the past. Just looking at their qualifying record so far, to their credit, they are in phenomenal form. They have won their last, let me see, five games? Since losing to Saudi Arabia, they've won their last five games, including beating Saudi Arabia in their most recent uh, outing, but they've only scored nine goals. So if the Socceroos can get Jamie McLaren going, and we know Jamie McLaren will be starting uh, this match since he's only uh, playing the Japan game, because congratulations to him, he is finally able to get married after some COVID-enforced postponements. So I think that may be uh, one of the few reasons why we'll uh, forgive him for his... uh, (laughs) absence from the uh, following game but 
Yeah, Scott, it's it's such a hard game to uh, read, but the Socceroos have been hit by quite a few absences as well. Just um, earlier today, um, Rolls and Tom Rogic have been ruled out of the squad, so in comes Wilkinson and McGowan. Yeah, and you can also add to that Jackson Irvine, Craig Goodwin and Tom Rogic. So there's plenty of players who are in the initial squad selected by Graham Art, who also won't be there. He's out once again with COVID protocols. So there's another loss for the Socceroos there. So they've lost a lot of players and coaches from this squad, at least for the initial game. And then, of course, you mentioned Jamie McLaren. He's not going to be going to Jeddah no matter what happens. So it's a, it's a Socceroos squad which is in flux, and it's not necessarily the exact squad that they would have liked to have had. I definitely think Japan are the favourites. I know Adam mentioned they've got a couple of players who are not going to be there. They've still got a very experienced group of players who will be there, and that's the most important thing is, from their perspective, they've got a side that can come here and get a result. Whereas I'm not I'm not convinced that this Australian team is capable of getting a result against Japan. I mean, if they're going to do it, Jamie McLeod's going to have to, to have a real breakout performance in the green and gold, isn't he? Yes, I know he's scored goals, but he hasn't really become that absolute international star yet, has he? So that's a he's going to have to have his best game in the green and gold. The midfield is going to have to really cover for the loss of Rogic. There's no Aaron Moy in this squad either. So those two fulcrums in the midfield for Australia aren't there. Defensively, it's not going to be the the back line that would have been preferred given the, the absences. So it's it's all hands to the pump and it's going to be... it's. The next wave is here, isn't it? It's going to have to be the next wave of players. Looking at guys like Nathaniel Atkinson and Joel King in the squad, these type of guys at the back are going to play against Japan, potentially play against Japan or Saudi Arabia, James, in must-win games very early in their international careers. So it's a young Australian side. I'm optimistic, but I'm not confident. And that for me, oh, just quickly, Adam, is it's where I kind of wish the Socceroos still had Postacoglu because... We know he would have just sent out a team to go on the attack, whereas I feel like that's not really part of Graham Arnold's makeup. We know that they can, like they ha- can score goals, and they have in this qualifying campaign. But in a big game like this, I do worry that they are going to go for a bit of a better safe than sorry approach and let Japan hang around. Yeah, but uh, also as well, Nicholas D'Agostino, who's been in wonderful form, he he might get a chance as well to to um to really sort of you know, stake his claim as well because like, there's no better opportunity but just on um samurai blue uh they're also missing a bit of firepower with yuya sako and uh deza maeda both um who are both out as well as the experienced uh defender hiroki sakai so and um, uh and their best player uh tommy asu is yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, <laughs> you know why uh, I think he's said get the Arsenal connection out of the way but so so <laughs> like I said they they've got their they've got their own um mission especially as well you pointed out you know as far as where the goals here come for for Japan um they they're missing two of their bigger weapons so um it will be it'll be very very interesting that you now maybe Japan come here and and just play for a draw and that that, that may open up the door for the Socceroos. That, but that's that's very unlike Japan. But that that would be very unlike them to actually travel this way. Because I reckon they would feel confident that they could they, they could come here, come to Sydney and actually get a result and wrap it all up. You know, as far as uh, their ticket to to Qatar goes. I definitely think that's going to be their approach. They're going to want to come here and make a statement. Aren't they? This is the biggest rivalry in Asian football. Certainly from our perspective, it is. It's the game 
that matters the most to us. I know it matters a lot to Japan because there's always a lot of stuff flying back and forth from the supporters. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of that tomorrow night as well. But Adam mentioned they are missing some players, but they've still got a tremendous amount of experience. They've got Kawashima in goal. They're going to have Nagatomo in defence. But in midfield, James, they've got Genki Haraguchi, Gaku Shibasaki and Takuma Minamino, who have all played a lot of games for Japan. This is the this is the Australian midfield options. You've got James Jago, 13 caps. Kenny Dougal, 4 caps. Connor Metcalf, 2 caps. Denny Genro, 1 cap. And you've got Yanni Stensis yet to make his debut. So in the middle of midfield, with, they've got a tremendous amount of experience. And we've got players who are barely making their way at international. Not that they're not good enough. Let's be clear. These are very good young players who could go on and have very fine Socceroos careers for the next decade. But they're at the start against players who are right in the middle of their careers, playing at good clubs over in Europe. That's the difference. And I think in the midfield is where we might see the difference tomorrow night. Yep. Well, I actually, just while you guys were talking, did a very, very rough starting 11 for, or my best guess, at a soccer starting 11 for the Japan game. Matt Ryan in goals, obviously. Back for Atkinson, Sainsbury, Degenek and King. Jonro and Jago as the two holding midfielders. Aiden Hrustich pulling the strings, Mobile and Boyle on the wings, and Jamie McLaren up front. That sound about right to you guys? That seems pretty yeah, close I'd, to accurate. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, the only... you, who'd you rule your centre-back pairing, sorry? Sainsbury and Degenek. I wouldn't be shocked if Wilkinson is parachuted right into the 11, but yeah. we'll see. It was Degenek or Wilkinson for me, but either, either way, like, you can see where the strength of this team lies, and truth be told, like, I think if the Socceroos are going to win, they're going to need big games from Atkinson and King. Those two are going to need to put in a shift defensively and probably get forward and try and help out as well. But, yeah, either way. <laughs> That's been the problem area, hasn't it? That's what cost them over in the last game, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, Defensive error, errors in the wide areas. Yeah, and I, I honestly think Atkinson is going to be the solution at right back for the Socceroos for the next decade. Uh, King probably going to be a similar story on the left. Um and you're going to find for guys like Genro or Stensness if he uh, gets into the squad as well, it's going to be a real sink or swim moment for a lot of these guys, and we'll find out pretty much if they're able to adapt to the pressure of a do-or-die World Cup qualifier. They do then have Saudi Arabia coming up, I think it's Tuesday morning Australian time, um, where... look, <laughs> Let's assume Saudi Arabia is going to beat China. I don't think that's really going out on a massive limb. Should Saudi Arabia do that, they will lock up an automatic qualifying berth in um, Qatar 2022. So then it will just come down to how much they want to potentially screw over the Socceroos. Because I would assume for that game, you're going to have Bruno Fornaroli starting. I would say so. Is it there for a reason? Yes. Um, But yeah, so basically, situation for the Socceroos. Beat Japan, uh, go level on points, and overtake them on goal difference. If they draw with Japan... They will still be in touching distance, but they will need Japan to then lose to Vietnam, who are not that good on uh, match day 10. So it, it is quite literally uh, win or else. So that's pretty, mu- that's pretty much the situation we're in. We will be bringing you live coverage of the Japan game on the Brisbane Football Review social channels, uh, the Raw Review on Facebook, at BNE Football on Twitter, and... We're going to have an Instagram post for that since uh, we can't. Absolutely. We definitely not sure, but if the Saudi game is live, I'm yeah, sure one of us will be awake live. for that. We'll be one of us will be awake for that <laughs> if it is actually live. If it's if it's all decided by then, we'll we we make six a.m. update. But if it's a live 
if it's a live game, we'll certainly have coverage of it. Yes. Um, look, I'm going to remain the optimist as well and say that I, I have faith that the Socceroos are going to at least get by Japan and have something to play for when they head to Saudi Arabia on Tuesday morning. But again, I'm being optimistic. Um, Bruno v Uruguay coming to a stadium in the Middle East soon. <laughs> Just <laughs> wonderful. Um, either way, sink or swim, it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, we will uh, wrap up, I think, because that's pretty much everything we wanted to get through. We'll talk about the two Raw A-League men's games coming up on uh, Wednesday night. They're playing Melbourne City, which is why we are recording on a Tuesday night. Um, and then Western United Saturday afternoon. So there is a lot to... Uh, yeah, a lot to take in up at Morton Daly Stadium this week. If you can get out, why not? It's usually a fun afternoon up there. And uh, I think it's going to be two pretty big tests for the Roar, Adam. Yeah, it's uh, first and second uh, on, on the ladder coming coming into these games. And um, look, for, for the Roar, there, there is plenty to play for uh, with their recent form. Um, if they were somehow to win uh, tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday night, depending on when you're listening... They they go into eighth, and then they're again within striking distance of the um, of the finals places. So as as we've been saying all along, that yeah, any team that's to the bottom half of the of the league, um, if they start stringing you know, a couple of wins together, then all of a sudden their their chances are you know are, they're right in it. So the Royal got a lot to play for, but so so do um. So does City. I think obviously they're going to want to you know, keep as much difference between them and the chasing pack as well, the um, the defending champions. And um, yeah, like I said, it, it's going to be a fascinating game. You know, mid midweek game. Both both teams are on a short turnaround. Um, look, and uh, Raw have actually got a, a decent record against uh, Melbourne City at at Morton Daly. So I think it's, it's actually going to be a fascinating contest. And that for, is, for Wednesday night. And that is the frustrating part of taking on Melbourne City, isn't it, Scott? They will be missing uh, McLaren, Metcalf, uh, Leckie, etc. And there's still a pretty damn good squad that they'll be rolling out uh, tomorrow night. And not Kurt as good as we found out today. So he won't be going to join the soccer squad. But Adam mentioned their record against uh, City at Morton Daly. They've won two out of three against them up here, including a game where they fought back from getting a couple goals down, which neither of you were at, actually. So... That was, that was quite a fun game to cover, that one. There was a 4-3 win for the Raw back in 2019. It was absolutely fantastic. But these two games, James, will actually give a real good indication of exactly where the Raw are at. They've, they've started to get some winning momentum against teams in the bottom half of the table. But these two games against the top two sides in the competition at the moment will be a really good indicative test. I know Melbourne City is not going to be as strong as they possibly can be with their internationals away, but it's still a really good squad that Melbourne City have, and they can cover... A lot of these, a lot of these absences, quite well. So I think they're still going to bring a really good squad. And the game on Saturday against Western United, I think, is going to be a really, really interesting test. Given it's a team who are very experienced, a side who who are playing really well this year, and with a couple of players who will be and a coach will be coming here with a point to prove. I think it's is this John. This will be John Lewis's first return to Brisbane since he moved on in 2018. I think it was when he moved on from the Brisbane Raw. It's Jamie Young's first return, Dylan Wendell Hall's first return. I'm sure they will have a massive point to prove. So these two games, James, will really tell us exactly where the Brisbane Roar are at for this season. I think we can probably talk about what might be lying ahead for them in a bit more depth next week because these two games will give us a good indication. And on that as well, like going back to what we were saying at the start of the show, 
It might be an understrength Melbourne City coming to town, and I use that term very loosely considering the squad they've still got. But the, all the Raw can do is beat who's in front of them. And, you know, you might be able to say, oh, they haven't got Jamie McLaren, they haven't got this, they haven't got that. But if the Raw come out and win, as we've seen in the A-League all season long, like that's got to be a good sign for them. And it would be three wins in a row for the first time in quite a while, I want to say. So there is still plenty to take from that game against Melbourne City. There is, and also as well, it, it, this could be the most defining week for the Raw. Because if they can somehow some way win both games at home, which they're in decent form, um, especially at home, it's a season changer because all of a sudden you beat the top two teams back-to-back. They're right in the finals race. And also as well, I reckon the confidence that will come out of that would be you know, tremendous. So, But also as well, conversely, two losses and two heavy losses. And I would almost sort of say that that's the season over. So it's it really is going to be a telling week for the Raw uh, League campaign this this season, um, coming up in the next uh, in the next few days, because um, it can it can go one or two ways. It can really go you know really sort of you know, supercharge you know their their charge for the finals, or it could completely stymie them, especially two two losses and two comprehensive losses on their home turf. Um, yeah, I would almost say that it could be season over. Haven't you paid attention to social media, Adam? The season's been uh, written off about eleven or twelve times so far and we're only a few months in actually more than a few months yeah, in now aren't you we know. <laughs> you know <laughs> certainly all right well um that's going to be it for this edition of the brisbane football review i think we'll uh call it a night there uh quick teaser for next week as well we are planning on getting liam and alex from the queensland Socceroos fans on to review what will hopefully be a so- uh, somewhat cheery uh double of Socceroos games. We'll just have to wait and see how that all plays out as Scott is frantically shaking his head, uh, possibly uh, guarding himself from future hurt. Oh, no, it's, it's always fun when they're on the show, so... Yeah. Uh, something, something, something for next week, I think, you know, if, for our for our sort of law listeners, something to tune in for because it's always good having um, Alex and Liam on the show and their perspective of the national team. Definitely. To quote Simon Hill from that game in 2005, James, have your worry be ready because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Certainly. All right. Um, that's going to be it from us. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you again, James and Adam. Thank you, Adam. Yep. Thank you, gentlemen. And, uh, yeah, get out to the football this week. Uh, we've got the Raw, two home games. You've got plenty of NPL and FQPL action. Uh, so, yeah, get out. Enjoy the football. We'll be back to recap it all next week on the Brisbane Football Review.